We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, friends. Welcome to Spike Week. I am Eric Beinfor, your host, Eric Beinfor. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at Eric Beinfor. This episode is it's kind of funny. This episode of this best ball show brought to you by rotogrinders.com is kind of the polar opposite of what we talked about in the last episode. For those of you that listen, watch. Watch on YouTube, listen on the Roto-Grinders football podcast feed. It's the opposite. It's basically the polar opposite of what we talked about last time. The downside, what what seems, both of these subjects seem like counterintuitive. So I think that's the big important thing to talk about holistically. Talk about from a macro perspective. It's just how some things that appear logical are actually maybe things that we should be either concerned about or excited about, depending upon, you know, whether that logic is positive or negative. And so last episode, we talked about how maybe some situations that seem uncertain from a volume perspective, you know, the the example I used relatively frequently was the Cowboys passing offense. You know, we don't really know how the volume is going to break down between C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, even Zeke and Tony Pollard, the tight ends, you know, the same situation with the Bengals passing offense. Um, there's a lot of them like that. But when they have a lot of potential, when they have potential to score a lot of points, you know, and these players are really talented, there's a lot of upside in the offense. There's a lot of reasons to bet on that, that offense, you know, assuming the draft cost is relatively appropriate but there's just a lot of reasons to bet on the upside that comes with that uncertainty on the flip side is 
the downside and the risk to players that project for huge volume. And you're like, what, how can that be? What does that mean? If a guy's going to get the ball a lot, that's a good thing, right? For fantasy football. And that is true. However, we have to start kind of by assessing the market really on every player, but certainly on players who project for a large amount of volume. And the shining example of the player I will probably mention too much during this, but the, the, the best example at the top of drafts this year is Darren Waller. I like Darren Waller. This is not a uh, stomp, pound on the table and say fade Darren Waller episode. That's not what we're trying to do here. I, I have drafted Darren Waller, and I think every player, including Darren Waller, fits pretty much every player. I don't want to say every player. Almost every player fits into certain best ball roster constructions, depending upon how your draft is going, you know, how your team is coming together, depending upon where they fall, you know, in ADP, um, you know, compared to their ADP, depending upon what your draft room is doing, what your opponents are doing. Almost every player has some role on a, on a, on a best ball team. However, we really have to be smart about how we assess the market on players that project for huge volume. And that's for, for a bunch of different reasons, but holistically, not even just players that project for huge volume. When you have the entire market that believes one thing to be true and they are drafting a player as if such thing is true. Oftentimes it behooves us to take the opposite approach and say, okay, the market, the market is certain that Darren Waller is going to get the same insane amount of volume that he got last year, because how could he not, right? He doesn't have any more competition for targets, blah, blah, blah. They, he's the center point of their offense. It's probably true, but the entire market has, has made this stand on this player. And the best example that always, it's a little fluky and I kind of kind of dislike using this example, but it happens all the time last year. The opposite end of that spectrum that happened last year is Stefan Diggs, despite being clearly one of the most talented wide receivers in the NFL on a, on a new team with target competition, but not really, right? <laughs> John Brown and Cole Beasley and such are, are were kind of target competition, but Stefan Diggs was clearly the best wide receiver on that team. And clearly, just due to that ability, had the potential to, to earn a massive share of the targets. Now, we did it. No one foresaw the Bills becoming the you know, past happiest team in the NFL. And so that's kind of why I dislike using that example. But the point still, still remains that the market decided one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, potential to be a very clear alpha in the Bills offense wasn't really worth you know, picking. He was a sixth round pick. He's going in the sixth round last year, which is kind of funny to look back on. But the, the market was clearly down on Stefan Diggs last year. They didn't project him for, for big volume. Like I said, a little bit of that is fluky, but it was clearly advantageous to take the opposite side of that you know, market perception on Stefan Diggs. He clearly had the upside to, to become an alpha. And so 
we have situations that are on the, the opposite side of that way more often, I think. I don't know about way more often, but they stand out a lot more because certain players, particularly expensive players, earn their ADP and earn this assessment from the market solely based off of volume. I like Darren Waller. He's a good football player. But there are other good football players on on bad offenses, right, with, with bad quarterbacks that we don't necessarily project for this crazy target share. And so we just kind of write them off, right? The De- No receiver on the Detroit Lions, you know, even TJ Hawkinson. TJ Hawkinson's one, as Evan Silva would say, the MF and Mackey Award. Great, really talented tight end on a also a bad offense. Now he's not going crazy low, but he's going a whole lot lower than Darren Waller. And that's because he just, you know, he hasn't done it. And so he doesn't project for that. So we're carrying over this huge target share that Darren Waller got last year into this year. And I think, you know, logically that does make sense, but what it doesn't take into account is just the natural inaccuracy of, of our projections, our player projections. Like the logic behind everything seems totally sound. And it's hard to, I think it's hard for a lot of people, even sometimes me, hard to grasp, like just understanding that there's a lot of variance in this. Like, <laughs> you know, the D- DFS joke constantly for those that, that play DFS, like the DFS joke is just, oh yeah, it was just variance, right? When things didn't go your way. But a lot of the times that is actually true. People just want to have a reason for why things happened or why things are going to happen. When a lot of the times the real answer is just like shrug, I don't know, variance. It's just how it happened. But, you know, that's not how people operate and people want to have these hard and fast rules and they want to have reasons for why everything's happening. And so that turns into this situation where people don't appropriately factor in just how inaccurate, you know, volume projections can be. And they can be inaccurate for a number of different ways, you know, for a number of different reasons, like setting aside injury too, right? Because everyone has injury risk. Ignoring, Ignoring injury risk, Darren Waller could keep the exact same role on this team and just through the sheer variance of a season, catch less passes and catch less touchdowns. Like you could be technically right about his role. And he just, and it just through how football games work sometimes, whether the defenses are keyed in on him a little bit more, or maybe they they happen to throw to, they happen to decide they want to use Henry Ruggs finally, you know, get Henry Ruggs on some, some shallow crossers and stuff that he's really good. He's, you know, that why they, we thought they drafted him for instead of just running nine routes all, all day. You know, maybe they do throw for the, the first year, they don't lie about throwing to Josh Jacobs more. Maybe they they do throw to Josh Jacobs a little bit more. But Waller is still the centerpiece of this offense. Like, you weren't wrong about that. But just needing – the guy caught 100-plus balls, and you're going to need that again. As a second-round pick, you're going to need that again. And that's a second-round pick in best ball drafts. You know, in tight end premium, a second-round pick in, like, typical best ball drafts, you know, underdog and DraftKings. 
you know, tight end premium, we're talking about like the fourth overall pick. And I get why he goes the fourth overall pick. And I'm not saying you can't take him with the fourth overall pick, but there are reasons why you may want to be lower than the market on him. And, and the number one thing is just how inaccurate our projections are going to be. And there sometimes like it could just be variance. He could have the same role as he had last year, but he just doesn't, you know, maybe he doesn't have the insane game he had against the Jets and we knock 10 catches off right there. You know, there's just a lot of paths to our, our projections being wrong about players. And the hardest part is that a lot of the times it's not explainable, right? Because it's usually just variance. You know, the other thing that we don't think about is what if the Raiders are a little better? You know, I, I would make the argument that the projection inaccuracy is more likely to be that the Raiders are just that bad. And so people are overvaluing this alpha role. I don't know about overvaluing. People are, are valuing this alpha role in a bad offense because, you know, it clearly makes you comfortable with just how much volume he's going to get. You know, he doesn't have target competition. So like I can just lock him into X targets every single week, right? X catches. And so the first part of that, I guess I should double back really quick. The first part of that is that we definitely overvalue we as a collective industry definitely overvalue alpha roles in bad offenses. And that's like partly because of this projection thing, it makes us feel really warm and fuzzy, right? Okay. I know that they're not going to score quite as many points, but I, you know, I know that he's going to catch seven balls when in reality, you know, we want you to be in a good offense. That's where the, that's where the ceiling comes from is when you're in this great offense. You know, the, the Dallas Cowboys are going to score a lot more points. The Chiefs are going to score a lot more points than the Raiders. So even every week that Kelsey doesn't catch 10 balls, he still could blow, excuse me, blow away the competition at tight end because they're going to score 30 plus points every week. The Raiders are going to be limping, most weeks limping to 17 points, you know? And so you need every single one of those catches. And that's harder to achieve and it creates more inaccuracy because it's just, it's just, it's just hard. It's really hard to get that many targets and catch that many balls when Derek Carr is your quarterback and your teammates aren't good. Your teammates aren't helping you, <laughs> but the opposite can also be true. Maybe the Raiders offense is a little bit better. Maybe Henry Ruggs is you know, turns into a good football player. Maybe John Brown is a better fit in this offense. I doubt it, but maybe John Brown is a better fit in this offense. Maybe they they run the ball well. They want to run. They want to run the ball. Maybe Josh Jacobs has a, has a good year. And so now you have an offense where other guys are picking up the slack a little bit more, you know, and maybe they're playing from ahead more often. Again, this isn't what I'm projecting, but crazy stuff happens every year. Teams rise up and play better than we think. Frankly, I would argue that the Raiders played a lot better than I thought that they were going to last year. But you don't, now maybe you don't get kind of some of these fourth quarters with Derek Carr just feeding five, six, seven targets to Darren Waller as they're down by multiple scores, right? There's, there's just these different 
scenarios, multiple different scenarios that create a lot more variance in the projection. And when the projection has to be such a huge raw number, that limits our paths to success. Our paths to success, you know, being us winning best ball tournaments, it creates, it creates really slim and tough paths to success when we're leaning upon a huge, huge volume number. And I think maybe even some better examples than Darren Waller when we start to get into this are the running backs. Because I'm not trying to write off Darren Waller, you know, any any tight end that has the upside, he, he's shown the upside of right 100, more than 100 catches. And so, you know, players like that have, have certainly have fits in into best ball teams, into, into certain best ball builds. We might argue you might need to be a little, maybe a little lower than the market is on them, but that, that certainly doesn't mean you're writing them off. And while I'm not saying that you're writing these, some of these running backs off, we see this every year with, with running backs. And I think the paths to success are so limited for some of these guys because they're so reliant upon volume. Last year, we saw it with Leonard Fournette, if you remember. Leonard Fournette was on the Jaguars during draft season. And the year before, he was the he was a workhorse back, right? We actually hadn't seen him catch passes really much in his career, and that changed two years ago. He was in, he was one of the few every down backs in the NFL, and despite poor efficiency on a bad offense, he was catching so many passes, getting the goal line carries, that he was valuable. Now he got cut, obviously, but that's also part of the game when you're betting on bad players on bad teams. It makes it difficult. The other one was James Conner. And now some of that was a little bit injury related, but he also started off really, really quite poor out of the gate. And it just shows you, like, I'm not saying I predicted any of these. I drafted a lot of James Conner, like a lot of James Conner. But we're so certain on these roles, right? There was no reason to believe that James Conner wasn't going to be uh, an effective workhorse back in this Steelers offense, but it didn't work out that way. And we become enamored with these guys who are probably like at best average players. I would say at best Fournette and Connor are about at average players. We become enamored with these average players because we feel really comfortable, you know, week one, we feel comfortable all oh, week one. These guys are going to get, all the work and there are so few workhorse running backs and frankly there are quite quite you know a small number of like true alpha passing game options and so we become enamored with the guys that that have that right but the issue becomes when you start to factor in all these other these other things whether it be bad offense bad quarterback maybe that player stinks you know there's a lot more uncertainty which in turn leads in leads to a lot more inaccuracy than you know maybe we think that there is coming in and so you know the guy who i think jumps out quite a bit at the running back position with this is Mike Davis and he has a couple of interesting um bullet points i guess i would say as to as to why these kinds of guys can be scary we make assumptions heading into a season on 
you know, the competition level for players in there, like in that running back room, right? The Falcons don't have any other running backs. It's Quadri Allison and JV and Hawkins, Cordero Patterson, right? We, so, and we just saw Mike Davis play a workhorse role in, you know, relief of, of Christian McCaffrey. And so we feel so certain that like, oh, he should, you know, he should get all the, all the work in that backfield, you know, and he's certainly going to play on third downs and he's certainly going to play at the goal line. But like, we don't know that, <laughs> right? Just to be blunt and blunt and totally simple. I, I would, I would project that too, but like, a run at, at Mike Davis is a fine player and he actually looked pretty good last year, but this isn't some game changing running back, right? He's not, he's still not Christian McCaffrey. He's not Saquon Barkley. He's not Alvin Kamara. He's not Derrick Henry, whatever. And so he's on what's maybe a significantly worse offense without Julio. The upgrade to Arthur Smith is nice, but maybe a significantly Worse, worse offense on a team that's probably not winning a lot. And so while it seems like this type of player should generate a, all this volume to make him, you know, a fourth round, a fourth round selection. Like there's a lot more uncertainty around that than, you know, anyone really wants to give, to give credit. That uncertainty means you don't, have a very clean path to success. Your path to success is solely this workhorse role, right? There's all these running backs getting drafted throughout the entire draft, but also at the at the top of, of drafts. They don't need, you know, Alvin Kamara is one of the top picks in the in, in the fantasy football every single year. And he doesn't need the workhorse role to pay off, right? He's never had it. He's never gonna have it. It's not how they operate. Even Derrick Henry. <laughs> Derrick Henry still doesn't play third downs and still doesn't catch passes, but he's earned a huge role. You know, a, a huge fantasy, a huge fantasy role in the fantasy landscape without it. And so, you know, there's there's really only not only upside on those guys. But it, it creates paths to success for all these other players because if we're if we're wrong on the low end. It's okay, you know, we're, we're expecting them to be, you know, 50, 60, 70% backs. When, when you need the player to be the 100% back, and then you factor in, maybe it's not a very good team. Maybe they're losing in the second half, and why is a, you know, maybe a tanking team giving Mike Davis 100% of the snaps? They're probably not. Right. And then you factor into the best ball tournament aspect where you have, yes, you have to get to the playoffs, but those late weeks, those final three playoff weeks are the most important weeks of the season. And so, do you have a payoff for, for that kind of a player? Not only do they need the volume the whole entire year to, to help get you there, because that's the only way that they're going to provide value. Right, they need a, a a workhorse role because of whatever issues that there are with their situation or their personal talent. You need all that volume the entire way. We know how uncertain that volume can be, and then you have the issue 
of the fact that they have to be doing it months from now. It's not just about week one. And I think sometimes we struggle with that too. Like that it's not just about week one and how we're projecting a guy week one. I think Mike Davis probably does play the majority of the snaps week one. But if, you know, what about late in the season? Atlanta's not going to be very good. Spoiler alert. Their defense is still bad. Matt Ryan's getting older and Julio is gone. And they have no cap space. That's why they traded Julio. So you have a you know, journeyman running back who's a fine player. But what in week 15 or 16, when they're out of the playoffs, are they really giving Mike Davis 100% of the touches? You know, I want guys that give me a payoff that win me a million dollars, right? Ultimately, is what we're trying to do. We're trying to win a million dollars in these huge these huge tournaments or 100,000 or, or 10,000 or whatever it is in the, the contest that you're playing in. And so all these different factors have to come in, have to come into play. And so I'm not trying to make this a Darren Waller and Mike Davis suck episode, because that's certainly not the case. And like I, like I mentioned, every player, almost every player has a role on a, on a best ball team in a, in a, whether it's a certain structure that you're drafting there, whether they fall to a certain point or whether your opponents are doing something that means you should you know, be, be zigging when they're zagging, whatever. Players have roles in our best ball drafts. But when it comes to, you know, creating our own assessment of a market and putting together our portfolio based on that market, some of these players that need huge, huge volume to pay you off. And even when they get the huge volume, you start to become concerned about if the payoff is really, really there, maybe those are the guys that we need to be lower than the market on. Just a little bit, just a little bit lower will probably do you justice on Darren Waller. The guy's going in the second round, and he he, he only keeps he just keeps going higher every draft. Every draft I see, he went like at the beginning of the second round in a draft. I just I just saw like the market is not slowing down on these guys. With huge volume, no uh, underdogs. Josh Norris is really high on Mike Davis, and there's other people really high on Mike Davis, and I totally understand why. But it, but their their steam, you know, they're not slowing down. The steam is not slowing down. People aren't going to listen to me when I say the projections are going to be inaccurate, and it's because of var- <laughs> it's because of variance. People don't get people don't get the warm and fuzzies from that, and so that's an advantage for us right? Taking these players when it makes sense in our drafts, as opposed to forcing them in and needing the absolute optimal scenario from that player in order for them to pay us off. And even then being maybe slightly concerned about what that payoff is, finding the path to success, finding the guys with the paths with the the cleanest paths to success is always going to be better for us. And some of these guys with, you know, the necessity for for huge huge volume over the course of the entire season typically do not have the cleanest paths to success. So that's it. That'll wrap wrap us up on the the huge volume. I know I know talking bad about the huge volume always triggers a lot of people. So maybe we'll get some some people triggered. As always, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, hatred whatever. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Bynfor. Leave me a note, drop a comment, 
drop a comment, drop, drop us a, a like, subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. And I will be back. I will be back shortly going through. We're going to be really starting to hammer out some of these, some of these different strategic, strategic um, discussions. And I will catch you guys next time.